attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Doctor Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Hundredth episode of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. Presented as always by Two True Freaks. I'm your host Magnus, and I've spent 100 episodes talking about comics, movies, and TV shows. I follow a pretty simple structure when you come right down to it. It's a cycle of eight episodes, and I spend six episodes talking about pretty much whatever I want. A seventh episode involves Chris Honeywell for what I like to call The Big Book Report. And then the eighth episode is another chapter in my Smallville retrospective. But that's not how things started out. At least, not originally. In the beginning, I really wanted to give this whole podcasting thing a shot. This was back in 2009, you see, and... What had happened was I'd spent several months reading the complete run of Bronze Age Superman comics. And when I say Superman there, I mean the monthly title called Superman. I'm not saying that I read every Bronze Age Superman-related comic that was published back then. As a matter of fact, I'm actually saying the total opposite. I only dipped my toe into the other titles where they related to the Superman monthly comic. And the issue there was that reading those comics radically changed my perception of who Superman is, and I needed some kind of outlet for all that. So I thought about starting up my very own podcast so that I could use it kind of as a dumping ground for my Superman reading project. But things ended up getting a little complicated. Basically, the idea that I had was to start off my show with a kind of, sort of, retrospective of my collecting life. I figured I could use episode one to look back at my first year of collecting, and talk about the comics that I read that year, the other comics that came out that year that I didn't read, uh, the shit that was going on in my personal life, and all that stuff. Then episode two would be about my second year of collecting, and so on and so forth. The idea was that I could talk about all that stuff in a sort of quick, easy, and superficial kind of way. But if I wanted to revisit any of those subjects later on, I'd be able to since that whole introductory collector series thingy that I was going to use to start off my show 
that wouldn't have covered any of those topics in very much depth. And as a tie-in for all of that, I was planning to start each show with music and songs relevant to that year. The idea was to kind of, sort of, put people back into the mindset of mass culture, as it was during whichever year I was shining a spotlight on, as I progressed through my time as a collector, but as I say, that ended up getting just a little bit complicated. First, I was basically forced to stop collecting comics by my parents relatively early on in the process. Now, I'm not saying that to talk shit about my parents or say that I was somehow abused or some kind of ignorant bullshit like that. Because I wasn't. My parents loved me, I loved them, they just didn't want me to collect comics. It's really no more complicated than that. Those things having been said, though, I do think my parents made the wrong choice when they, when they did that. I think it was a bad decision and bad, and bad parenting. And fucking defensible. That's what I'm saying, and it's all I'm saying. But I don't think I was treated unfairly. Anyway, but the end result of all of that was there were really only about eight or nine years worth of comics that I could talk about from back then as a contemporaneous collector. And so, right off the bat, doing a podcast about my evolution as a collector was going to be pretty tough. The other thing that happened was right around the time that I was starting to put all of that shit together, Michael Bailey, over from Views from the Long Box, started his build-up to to his episode 100. And I have to say, he totally killed my momentum because he took the basic idea of what I was going to do, but he went so much further with it than I would have ever thought possible. And keep in mind, I'm not saying that Bailey stole this idea from me or that I stole it from him. I'm just saying that we had a kind of similar idea at around the same time. And it was really, really, it was it, it was too similar for anybody to ever believe that it was just a coincidence. And so my fear was, I guess number one, I wouldn't have all that much to talk about on my show, at least as far as the collector thing is concerned. And then second, if I kicked off my show the way I originally intended to, most people would probably assume that I was uh, plagiarizing ideas from a a veteran and very well-respected podcaster, and I'd never be given a fair chance. For the rest of my days, people would believe that I stole all of Michael Bailey's ideas, and it would just be unpleasant. So all the work and all the planning that I'd done pretty much withered on the vine. But like I say, I never really got around to finishing all of that stuff because the idea died not very long after it was born. So there you go. In fact, the entire podcast died for a while there. So instead, I just started up a live journal and used that as a place to vent my frustration over John Byrne's Man of Steel continuity. Basically getting shot, uh, getting shown the door so that the Jeff, Donner, Reeve, Johns, and Gary Frankenstein sucky origin bullshit could take center stage, but eventually even the live journal died. But what eventually changed as far as the podcast is concerned was Two True Freaks did another one of their get off your ass and make a podcast show. This was years later, and at the time, I was unemployed. Now, a lot of you may not know this, but I'm one of those people who needs stuff to do. 
I can't just sit around all day watching TV. I mean, I've got I've to create something. And that's, that's why I need to work. It's, it's not just for money. I need to build something every day. Now, when you've got a job, it's pretty easy to feel like you accomplished something every day. You may love your job or you may hate it, but the least you can say is that it gave you a chance to be productive. Well, I didn't have that for 2013, and so I had to channel all the energy that I'd normally use for work into other stuff. So, as an example of what I'm talking about here, just how desperate I got for things to do, I made my very own Star Wars prequel trilogy fan edits. And what I did probably doesn't really count as a fan edit anyway, but I don't really know what else to call it. Basically what happened, though, was I had an idea. George Lucas spent years saying that Star Wars is basically a, it's a silent movie, and it's the music that really tells the story. The music and the visuals and all that. And, you know, his point is that dialogue is incidental. So I decided to call his bluff. I took the, the scores of each prequel film, and I set that music up with those scenes. The idea, it really wasn't to create any kind of linear narrative. Instead, it was to find out just how well the music really does tell the story of what's happening in a given scene. And honestly, I think the results are a little bit of a mixed bag, but uh, well, I'll get more into that some other time. But once that project was done and fine-tuned the way that I wanted it to be, I had to figure out something else to do that would fill my time until I found a new job. And it was right around then that the two true freaks get off your ass and make a podcast show came out. And it was also right around then that the air conditioner in my, in my house just keeled over and died. So I guess the Texas heat drove me crazy or something because I got the wild idea of starting up my own podcast once again. And this time I had other ideas for shit that I could talk about. Plus, it felt like I had just fundamentally more to say in 2013 than I did back in 2009. So whatever, I decided to give it a shot. Now, I'd been reading a lot of comics at the time. I loved them and I wanted to talk about them. I wanted to share my opinions about stuff that I just didn't and really don't see many other people talking about. So I decided, like I said, on, an, uh, on this eight-episode structure for my show. Six episodes of whatever I want, a seventh episode that's all about the big book series from DC Paradox Press, and then finally, an eighth episode that's all about Star Wars. So, from the outset, everything about this podcast pretty much kicked my ass. My first show debuted before I was really ready for it to, and the reason for that is because my promo ended up getting played on somebody else's show long before I was actually ready. Well, I panicked and decided that I'd debut my show exactly one week later. But the first episode that was all about Smallville really wasn't everything that I wanted it to be. I originally wanted something a lot more in-depth. I didn't really make all the points that I wanted to make. As a matter of fact, basically that first episode 
is really just a rough draft of what would have been the final episode. But like I say, my promo aired on somebody else's show, and I felt like I needed to have something, something out there for people to listen to. So I went ahead and released my first show anyway. Now, as to the final product, I'll own it. You know, it's, it's not perfect. It's for damn sure not what I wanted it to be, but it was the best I could do with the limited amount of time that I had to work with. But if you listen to it now, it's overloaded with music, and the reason for that's because I made a shit ton of cuts to that show. The music was there really only to hide the zillions of cuts that I had to make to that bad boy. If the first episode had sounded the way I wanted it to, and included all the points that it was supposed to, it probably would have been, I don't know, maybe about an hour or so long and had fairly minimal music to it, if any at all. Honestly, the only thing about my first episode that I'm really proud of is the introductory theme song. You guys need to understand that I mixed that theme song that you hear in the first episode with seven very loud fans blowing on me. Again, my air conditioner was out, so the only way to stay even relatively cool was to have all of those fans go. And just to sit there in my office, it sounded like a fucking airplane was taking off because that's just how loud it was. But I still think the mixing of the theme song in in the first episode was very well done. Especially considering how little of it that I could actually hear. Speaking of which, my theme song is Dream Theater's Overture 1928. And the reason I chose that is because most podcasts out there, at least that I know about, They tended to use more uh, orchestral-type stuff. And predominantly, it's a film score or some such. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But I wanted something that sounded different. I didn't want to talk about all the same bullshit that everybody else talks about. And I didn't want my theme song to sound like anybody else's show either. And so I guess what I wanted was something that was different from everybody else. I also wanted something that 9 out of 10 people probably wouldn't immediately recognize, and so it also obviously had to be instrumental. Now, I like instrumental music, but it's fucking shocking how much instrumental rock stuff doesn't work for an intro theme song type of thing. I probably tested out something like 10 instrumental songs before I found something that worked for the tone of what I wanted. Now. On a few occasions, I've used other music to introduce uh, a given episode, and you know what? I mean, I've done that in the past, and I'll do it again in the future. Be sure of that. But when all said and done, Overture 1928 is this show's theme song. Always has been, and probably always will be. But anyway, to get back on task, though, uh, from there, episodes two through six are pretty much of the same quality as the first show was. Those entire shows were originally going to be re-recorded later on with better audio quality and probably with more in-depth commentary. But like I say, I was so pressed for time. Now, this entire experience was instructive to me. What it taught me was that I need to record all my shit way ahead of time. Specifically so that I can identify problems and fix technical issues earlier on in the process. And mostly, I've stuck to this ever since. 
by far, episodes two through six were the most instructive to me in terms of what not to do in the future. Episode seven was the first part of my big book series. It was about specifically the big book of urban legends. And what I realized very quickly was that I needed a co-host for those shows. I needed a second voice and a different perspective to make the episode interesting. For the first time, I was tackling subject matter that I couldn't handle all by myself. And so what I did was start looking around the podcast community for someone who could pitch in and help with all of this. And that really was not as easy as I first thought since I either didn't know most of those other podcasters who were in the game or else I was pretty sure that the big book of jack shit really wouldn't be their thing. Eventually, though, I reasoned that Chris Honeywell might be interested in talking about the big book series with me. First, he and I weren't exactly complete strangers to each other since we traded Facebook messages a couple of times in the past, and obviously I've been listening to Two True Freaks for a lot of years now. But second, because I'd listened to him for all those years, I knew his taste in comics was pretty broad and eclectic. He just might be interested in joining me for an episode of the Big Book uh, series and just kind of help get this whole thing started. He agreed to join in pretty much right away, too. Now, just think about that. He didn't have any reason to want to join in on the discussion, but he did it anyway, which I think is pretty cool. And since I'm kind of close to the subject, Scott Gardner reached out to me uh, right about the same time with pointers and encouragement on how to do a better job from a technical standpoint on really a lot of different things. And I got to tell you, his comments were totally valid. I agree with them. I just had reasons for doing a shitty job early on, but he was still right about everything that he said, and I'm really thankful that he took the time to contact me the way that he did. Anyway, for episode 8, which was my the first of my Star Wars episodes, I decided to do a show about Star Wars Infinities, and I gotta tell you, the wheels damn near came off this podcast right then and there. What I realized was that I've got a deep love for Star Wars, but at the same time, I just don't have a whole lot to say about Star Wars. Certainly not as much as I originally thought. So I resolved that for my next Star Wars episode, I try to find another guest or somebody who can help contribute to the discussion. And I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But moving on, starting with episode 9, I embarked on my first major miniseries. I came up with the very clever title, Superman Begins. And basically, the high concept here was that because of all the hoopla related to Man of Steel, which had uh, just come out in theaters only a, a couple of months earlier, during the summer, I thought it might be kind of fun to look back at previous Superman origin stories and comics. And it's like anything. I'll own those episodes, but I don't think they turned out as well as they could have. They're definitely better than episodes one through six. That much is for sure, but... I don't think they're as well done as they might have been. But Superman Begins is pretty much what put me on the map as far as podcasting is concerned. For whatever reason, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, that miniseries got a lot of people's attention. As a matter of fact, it was right around then that my download numbers 
which had been kind of a trickle up to that point, turned into fucking Niagara Falls. And that sort of leads into something. I originally started Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on the basis that maybe six people were going to listen. Because the way I looked at it, the big boys like Two True Freaks, Views from the Long Box, Just One of the Guys, and other shows like that pretty much had a monopoly on podcast listeners. So really, the best I could hope for was maybe seven or eight listeners. Because of that, I put aside all bullshit. I decided that I'd say whatever the hell I wanted, since, let's face it, nobody's listening anyway. If some big-name podcaster out there criticized Superman 2, it'd be a shitstorm. For them. But I could get away with criticizing Superman 2 for being kind of a lump of shit, because, fuck it, nobody's listening to me. Well, Superman Begins is where that changed, and apparently... People backtrack to my first couple of episodes because holy fucking Moses. You just wouldn't believe the abuse I took for smack-talking Superman 2. The weird thing, though, was that the trash talk paled in comparison to the volume of feedback that I got from people with genuine love. They got what I was trying to do, and they were pretty much on the same wavelength I was. Now, no, they might not have agreed with every single little thing that I said, but they were at least entertained when they listened, and that's worth something. The other thing that the Superman Begins miniseries taught me to do was plan better. That series was only supposed to be six episodes long, but it ended up turning into eight episodes because I fell ass-backwards into a, this badass conversation with Scott Gardner about all things Superman, and then later on, I realized that the Superman Begins miniseries was really supposed to be a tribute of sorts to the Man of Steel film. And let's face it, no true acknowledgement of Man of Steel is complete without some kind of discussion about what a horrifying lump of shit that abortion known as Superman Returns is. And so... I decided I needed an episode that was all about that shitty piece of crap movie that preceded Man of Steel. An eight-episode miniseries, when they're only supposed to be six episodes. So, like I say, the takeaway message there was plan shit better in the future. And again, this is something that I've really stuck to ever since. Never again... Will I let my subject matter get so out of control? From now on, I will control everything. The Big Book of Conspiracies came next. I invited Chris Honeywell back on the show so, so that we could talk about all different kinds of conspiracy theories and uh, speculation and conjecture and all that stuff. And it, it really amazes me to this day just how little feedback that episode ultimately got. I mean, yeah, people responded, but nowhere near as many, considering how contentious some of that subject matter still is. Even so, the Big Book of Conspiracies episode was the first time that I could look back at any show that I ever did and think, yep, that turned out more or less the way I intended it. 
It was a lot of fun to talk about all that stuff with Honeywell. And even if a lot of people didn't respond to it very much, oh, well, you can't, you can't win everything, right? Anyway, for episode 19, I was joined by Chris Honeywell and Scott Gardner to talk about Empire Strikes Back Infinities. And I got to be honest, this is pretty much where I decided to give up doing a periodic Star Wars episode. Like I say, first... I just didn't have as much to say about Star Wars as I originally thought, and that's not to be underestimated. But second, it was by this point that I joined up with the Two True Freaks podcast network, and as most of you know, they've got a monthly Star Wars show of their very own. And having what amounts to a bi-monthly Star Wars show as part of my podcast format, it just felt like really poor taste to me. So I no sooner uh, finished recording that Empire Infinities episode than I'd resolved to retire the Star Wars shows in favor of something else. And very honestly, I didn't have to think very long about what that something else was going to be. Even then, I just wasn't happy with how my first episode that was all about Smallville ended up turning out. I felt like I'd made a couple of decent points, but I pulled way too many punches. I deleted way too much shit from the episode. And honestly, I just felt like one episode was inadequate to express everything about Smallville that needs to be expressed. So I decided to take a a mulligan, kind of, sort of, and start all over again, beginning with Smallville's pilot episode and working all the way through to the series finale called Finale. The idea was to chart uh, Clark's character growth as he moves closer and closer to becoming Superman and document, hopefully once and for all, that this was a completely logical, totally organic decision for him to make by the time he finally decides to do it. Of course, I think the Smallville retrospective has grown a bit beyond just that, but Clark's character arc will always be front and center with the Smallville retrospective. And the beauty of Smallville is that I'll have enough shit to talk about there to last for years. Years and years worth of eight-episode retrospectives. At the time that I record episode 100, I've actually got a lot of Smallville stuff in the can right now. I've got the skeleton of retrospective stuff up through the beginning of the fifth uh, season... Recorded, knocked out, and ready to go. Oddly enough, the season I'm proudest of, as far as my retrospective is concerned, is the dreaded fourth season. Now, a lot of you people out there are probably convinced that I'm a blind Smallville fanboy. I just can't see the show's flaws and fucking blah blah blah. Trust me, my look back at the dreaded fourth season of Smallville will prove, once and for all, just how picky I truly am. All of this is a long way of saying, I think I made the right decision by abandoning the Star Wars shows that I used to do in favor of talking about Smallville. I really enjoy each Smallville retrospective that I do, and even if I'm the only one who likes this stuff, I won't stop talking about Smallville until I reach the very bitter end. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. 
But before I put the Star Wars shows out to pasture, I had Scott Rifen from Dinner for Geeks on uh, to talk about Shadows of the Empire. Now, I really love that episode because Rifen's a really funny guy, and he had a lot to say about Shadows of the Empire. And, and this is just a completely, you know, hindsight thing, but I guess in retrospect, you know, looking back at it, I wish I hadn't artificially ended that episode as, as soon as I did. I wish I'd actually let the conversation just proceed to wherever it wanted to go, but hey, live and learn. After that came episode 29, the Mary Magnus Marching Society talking, uh, talking about comic book films. And honestly, the impetus for that was, honestly, that was a friend of mine. Basically, this guy will go see every fucking comic book movie that comes out. He'll buy all the action figures, he'll go to all the cons, and stuff like that. But when it comes to reading comics, he doesn't. To give you an idea of what we're talking about here, I've never given somebody a copy of The Walking Dead for them to read and then gotten negative comments about it afterward. To give somebody a Walking Dead comic book, at least in my experience, is to create a new Walking Dead fan. Except for this friend of mine. He's literally the only person that I've ever met who's read The Walking Dead and thought it was bland, mediocre, and forgettable. The comic book, anyway. But he watches that fucking TV show week in and week out. So, then as now, my question is whether people like that can really be considered fans. And my view of it is that appreciation of comic, uh, comic book characters and stories is intrinsically linked to an appreciation of comic books as a medium. Call it elitism if you want, but if you don't like comics as a medium, I don't consider you to be a fan. Now, my guests, many of them, took a very different point of view on the subject. And you know what? That's fine. That's completely why I had them on in the first place. So this was a pretty good discussion, and to this day, I'm actually really proud of it. After that, I started what was supposed supposed to be a mini-series where I talked to various comic book pros about some of their storylines. Norm Brayfogle was the first one up, and he and I had a bad-ass discussion about his early work on Detective Comics and about Batman in general. Tons of fun, and I'm really proud of, the, proud of that show and how it turned out. Dan Jurgens came next as he joined me to talk about Panic in the Sky. Again, I'm really proud of that episode. It turned out great. And that's about the time the wheels came off the wagon. There was supposed to be at least one more comic book pro that joined in for a different episode. Now, I'm not going to say his name because that's not very helpful to anything, but what happened was this guy pissed me off so fucking bad that I scrapped the entire series. Everything that I had planned for that little mini-series, complete write-off. I released what I had and bullshitted my way through the rest of that six-episode series. Literally, the only bright spot after that was Dan Jurgens's. Uh, after that Dan Jurgens show was my conversation with Sean Engel 
from just one of the guys about Green Lantern Rebirth. Again, Sean Angle doesn't need me for anything. He's already got his own badass show going, so what the fuck does he need to come onto my show for? But he joined me anyway because he's a because he's a cool guy. How awesome is that? But apart from his contributions, I just don't think the latter half of that six-episode cycle was really anything to write home about. So, to make up for the lack of comic book pros on my show, I recorded some shoot-the-shit episodes with J. David Weeder, Scott Rifen, and John M. Wilson. And those things turned out so well that... I didn't want them to be related to my frustration and anger over what a miserable pain in my ass that comic book writer uh, miniseries uh, turned into uh, before it got aborted. But if you listen closely, what you'll hear is Weeder, Wilson, and Rifen all make subtle references to the problems that I was having behind the scenes and getting that comic book writer onto my show. Not long after that... Beginning with episode 45, I started a five-episode miniseries all about movie sequels that I felt people had just seriously misjudged. Maybe they hated those movies, maybe they loved them, but no matter what, I just felt like the prevailing consensus about each of those sequels was just wrong. Now, most of those shows turned out really well. I'm definitely proud of the Spider-Man 3 and Karate Kid 3 uh, episodes that I did. But the other shows about the Matrix sequels and Superman 2, 3, and 4, and also Batman Returns? Eh, I don't know. I just don't think I made as many good points in those episodes as I could have. Now, in the case of the Matrix sequels, I didn't really try to address all of the common complaints that people have about those films. Basically, what I wanted to do was just pick out two or three things and defend that stuff. And looking back at it, I don't know if that was the best way to handle the discussion. Now, the Superman and Batman movie episodes were actually mostly adapted from my live journal from years ago. I originally was going to release those episodes much earlier in the show's run, but... A, I didn't want Trennis Magnus Punches Reality to be thought of as a movie podcast. And B, the Superman Begins miniseries kind of sidelined everything else for a pretty long time there. So, bottom line, I sat on the Superman and Batman shows for nearly a year, and I'd gotten much better as a podcaster during that time. And looking back at it, you guys deserved for me to reorganize my notes and re-record those episodes. Would've, should've, could've. Anyway. After that, I embarked on my Superman mega-series. And basically, the simple existence of the Superman mega-series was meant to be a big middle finger to Batman fans. Basically, some disrespectful son of a bitch put a 74th anniversary notice for Batman up on Facebook during 2013, which was supposed to be Superman's 75th anniversary. And I just thought that was a just a really fucking low-class thing to do. So, I decided to retaliate during Batman's 75th anniversary by, first, in, uh, instituting a moratorium on all things Batman 
for 2014 and celebrating Superman's 76th anniversary. Take that, haters. And I gotta say, the Superman Mega Series was the biggest, most ambitious thing that I'd ever done up to that point. It was fun. Don't get me wrong, but man, that was a pain in my ass. But ultimately, it was worth doing, I think. After that, is my lead-up to episode 100, I decided to put everything on pause and move away from these huge mini-series and shit for a while and just have a bunch of standalone episodes where I just read comics. And that's it. And I had a real blast doing that, too. Plus, I revisited Star Wars for the first time in a long time by using episode 99 to look back at The Phantom Menace. Now, eventually, I'm going to record similar retrospectives for Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. But for right now, I'm really happy with the retrospective of uh, Episode 1 and really how that show was received. People seem like they understand what I was going for there. Now, not everything's perfect. I've talked about a lot of imperfections already, but mostly this is stuff that you can all check out for yourselves and decide if I was going too hard on myself or if anything I was going too easy on myself and I underplayed just how badly done some of those things were but in this next segment we're gonna get into stuff that was so fucking ill-advised that it never even saw the light of day but that's coming after these messages so time for a break and I'll be right back stay tuned You know, a dear friend once said to me, it's a lot of fun when everyone's a dork of some sort or another. And I thought not only are those words to live by, it's an idea worth celebrating. So that's why I created Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that is about, well, let's just say it's completely random. (laughs) One episode might be about movies, the next might be about comics, the next might be about music. All that matters is that I'm giving you a recap and critique of stuff I enjoy and you're having as much fun as I am. Or at least I hope. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork. You can find a new episode at least once a month at popcultureaffidavit.podomatic.com and notes, essays, and other stuff once a week at popcultureaffidavit.com. Okay, I'm back now and continuing my 100th episode, Epic Milestone, Anniversary, Retrospective, Spectacular, Extravaganza, 80-Page Giant, Super Special. Now, in the last segment, I went through the history of this show, talked about certain episodes, patted myself on the back a fair bit, and 
also shook my head in disapproval about certain other episodes. I mean, let's be honest, a lot probably could have been done better. Also in the last segment, I mentioned that I had a similar idea to Michael Bailey about doing a sort of history of my collecting life. And the idea that I came up with was I'd start with my very first year of collecting comics and then work forward from there. And hell, I'd even assembled these little musical montages to work with each show, with each year of collecting. And just kind of take you back to mass culture, as it was, uh, during the year that those comics came out. Set the mood, in other words. But that shit never saw the light of day, like I said, and that's because it all seemed too similar to a series that Bailey ran from about that same time I, I had this idea, leading up to his 100th episode. So basically, about the time that I'd started working on demos and spitballing ideas for my own podcast, that's when Bailey started this little uh, 100th uh, episode lead-up of uh, for his show. And so because of all that, and because nobody would ever believe that this was all a big coincidence, I pretty much mothballed those little musical interludes, and honestly, ever since then, just sort of forgot about them. In fact, you could fairly well say that I mothballed the entire podcast at that point, but that was years ago. Now, since all that, uh, all of this time has passed, and since it's my 100th episode, now I'm going to play one of those little musical snippets that I came up with as part of that aborted collector retrospective series that I was going to start off with my podcast originally. <laughs> was just a dream That was just a dream That's me in the corner
Cowboys. The Cowboys. Please forgive the kind of bad sound quality there, but you got to understand, I never got very far beyond the demo stage for those little musical intros, but the idea was to make it sound like a radio in your car, you know? You're driving around and you're flipping between the different stations. That was kind of the, the concept that I came up with. You see, I rode to and from school with my brothers a lot. And like everybody else, we'd listen to the radio on the way to school. So the idea that I had was kind of to say that if this was the song that we were likely to hear, or at least skip past, while we were driving around, I'll use it in this little fake radio thing like you just heard for the radio intro for 1991. Like I say, you never heard that stuff before because it, w it was just too similar to what Michael Bailey did. But... What comes next is stuff that was just such a bad, fucking horrible idea that you never heard it before. It wasn't always an issue of being too similar to what other people did later on, is what I'm saying. It's mostly about maybe how ill-advised some of this stuff was. So, here's an example. I had an idea for doing a, just a bullshit commercial. The idea here was that this was the kind of cheesy crap, again, that you'd probably hear as a commercial on the radio. How good an idea was this? Well, judge for yourself. How y'all doing? This is Junkyard Willie, and I'd like to invite all of you to come on down to my junkyard and take a look around. I got some of the finest deals on crushed automobiles, and I've got plenty of hubcaps, plenty of nice, shiny, used hubcaps to choose from. You can just come on down here and take a look and see what I have in my fine inventory just for you, and you can find yourself some amazingly good deals, all kinds of stuff you just can't find just anywhere in town, and that's what I have to offer. You can come on down to my junkyard, and you can take a look, and you can see what I have in stock. My place is the one that's just right off the freeway downtown. That's where I do all of my business. You can just come on down here and take a look at what I have in my inventory today and uh, just make your choice and get a, yourself a good deal. It's a good old-fashioned junkyard willy kind of deal, the kind of deal they just don't offer at those big dang junkyards where they don't even treat you like you're a human being. You're just a number and a wallet. So come on down here today at my junkyard, that is to say it is Junkyard Willie's Junkyard located in downtown, right off the freeway. Just come on down here and find yourself a good deal. Ultimately, I just didn't like the way that this bullshit commercial turned out, so I didn't do anything with it. But there it is anyway, so judge it as you will. 
Back when I was putting shit together for my podcast back in 2009, you know, the one that died on the vine, back when I was cobbling together ideas for my 2009 era podcast, I put together I don't know what. It wasn't a promo, exactly, but it wasn't a bullshit commercial skit either. It was just kind of there. And now, a dramatic reenactment of an actual customer service call placed to Magnus Media Ventures Limited. <laughs> Hello? Yes. My name is George, and I've been attempting Hello? to... Speak up! I can't hear you! I'm going there! Yes. I've been trying to get in touch with the... Oh! You don't have to shout! Yes, I'm quite sure that I have the right number here, you, you see. You shit I'm... for brains? You shouldn't be calling me right now. I'm in the middle of my lunch, and I don't have time to put up with you or your bullshit. I do not think that's the proper way that you should speak to your customers, sir. When customers contact the customer service department, they generally expect a higher level of treatment. Customer service? I'm not in customer service. I'm the janitor. Really? Are, are, are you fucking serious? Yeah, that's right. Motherfucker. Well, fuck you too, buddy. Ultimately, there are a couple of reasons that that never really saw the light of day. In the first place, Tales of the Justice Society of America released a promo kind of, sort of, like this that involved Chris Honeywell calling the Tales of the JSA customer service line. And my idea was a little too close to theirs. Again, it was a complete coincidence, but, like, Nobody would ever believe that it was a coincidence, so pretty much I had to let it go. The other thing is, I just didn't think it was all that funny. You may disagree or agree with that or whatever, but it was a lot funnier in my head than it was as a finished product. Still, it's a little amusing how that commercial is kind of, sort of, based on a true story... In a way, maybe. Basically, what happened was that my old job, the one where I worked from home for this complete psycho, I one time took a customer call from this guy who was pissed off about something or other, and he was all, Put me on the phone with your supervisor, asshole. So... I called my dipshit ex-boss about it and explained the situation. Well, that pussy decided he didn't want to deal with it, so he told me to tell the customer whatever I wanted. No profanities, of course, but otherwise I can say pretty much the first thing that came to mind. So, I told the customer that I'd transfer him in just a second. Put him on hold for about a minute, and then I picked up the phone again. 
And then I talked some serious shit to that fool. Yeah, man, I'm the supervisor. He never even knew what hit his ass. I got him nice and pissed off, and then I put his ass back on hold. I left him on hold for maybe another minute. And then I picked up the phone again, and I talked to him some more, and I'm not in customer service. I'm the janitor. At which point, the guy said, Motherfucker. And hung up. So, that was how my promo spot came to be. I thought it was funny when it happened, but it just didn't work very well as a final product. But, sometimes I've had ideas in the middle of an episode. As a matter of fact, more than once, I've had to cut some kind of too-hot-for-TV shit out of my show because I didn't want to take the chance of you guys storming the castle with torches and pitchforks. But here's a little sample of some of the stuff that I've cut out of my show over the years. You know, that brings up something else, just since I'm on the subject. Castling. Basically, there's this moment in Jeff Loeb's pretty fucking incoherent world's finest arc. Yeah, 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 the trade paperback has got some other title, Public Enemies or some shit, but, you know, there are a million other podcasts out there that use that name. I won't. So, anyway, there's this moment where Superman and Batman in the middle of this big fight with Captain Marvel and Hawkman, respectively, they trade opponents. And they call that castling. Then they both get taken out in this cliffhanger ending. And then later on, at the start of Superman Batman number five, this figure wearing a Captain Marvel outfit gets the drop on President Luther. Luther tears part of the shirt away, and we see Superman in full Captain Marvel gear. Castling. For reasons utterly beyond me, this moment never fails to captivate fanboys. I've yet to see someone not cream his pants when they flip to this page, or when they, or when this moment comes along in the movie. And I just don't fucking get it. I mean, it makes no fucking sense. None at all. As I said, Batman and Superman were both taken out at the end of Superman Batman number four in a cliffhanger ending. Not seemingly taken out. I'm talking about taken out like Chinese food. I'm pretty fucking definitively, too. Batman got struck by Captain Marvel's lightning, and Superman got punched by a planet. They were taken the fuck out. But remember, kiddies, this is a Jeff Loeb comic, so naturally that gets thrown out the window. Between issues, presumably because Loeb realized his story was starting to go long, somehow, somehow, Batman and Superman came to, and apparently without any need for medical attention for their injuries, some fucking how subdued Captain Marvel and Hawkman, you know, the very same characters who kicked their asses the previous issue, and then they stormed the White House. And in what was attempted to be 
quite the revelatory panel. We see a perfectly healthy Superman wearing the Captain Marvel outfit confronting Luther. Castling. I swear, play that moment back for any geek and just have some tissues ready to go. That's all I'm telling. That's all I'm telling. So, Superman got punched with a planet. Now, I realize Superman's supposed to be pretty fucking tough, but give me a break. And then Batman got struck by lightning. I don't give a flying fuck what he has in his utility belt. It wasn't going to help him. And spare me your Grant Morrison bullshit. Lightning... That Captain Marvel lightning has cooked Superman on a couple of occasions I can think of. And Batman, at the very least, would have gone into shock from getting hit by that stuff. But none of that fits into the story Loeb this telling, so naturally it gets thrown out the fucking window. Anyway, so I guess... I guess to, to get it all back on point... And this whole... Well, here's another thing that I don't get, right? Like, speaking of things that I just fucking don't get... The other day, my girlfriend wanted to have lunch at this restaurant called Gringo's. Gringo's. It's this Mexican food restaurant, you know, fairly close to the house. And for those of you who don't know, Gringo is a slur against white people. It's a Spanish slur against white people, right? And this is a Mexican food restaurant. Well, Tex-Mex, anyway. And I just don't like patronizing a place that has a slur against white people in their name. I mean, this is one of the things you really can't plead ignorance about. They pretty much put their hatred and disdain for you in front of the fucking building, okay? You go into a place called Gringo's, I, 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 I don't get that, all right? I guess to put it in other terms, it'd be like going to a restaurant called Guaylo's to get your Chinese food. Or a place called Honkies to get your fried chicken. I mean, what the fuck, dude? You know, all of these places that are, like, pejoratives against white people and you want to eat there? It's fucking retarded, dude. I don't get that. But somehow, I don't know how, but somehow, pointing all of this stuff out makes me the asshole. You know, that actually brings up something else. I'm never going to fucking watch Doctor Who. Doctor Who fans have seen the bad. And yeah, I just called them Doctor Who fans. I know that pisses them off, but there it is. If you're a fan of the Beatles, you call yourself a fan of the Beatles. You don't get to call yourself Leninites, McCartney Files, or any of that retarded shit. If you're a Superman fan, you just call yourself a Superman fan. You pretentious as all fuck to just say you're a cryptid enthusiast or some shit like that. But Doctor Who fans, oh no, they're not Doctor Who fans, they're Whovians. Can you maybe see why some of that stuff would have been cut out? I hope so. Anyway, so I think that's just about enough for right now. I'm going to take another break and be right back after these messages. future is going to be. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing. Gleaming buildings, fast monorails. This is the future. That was all started by a mountain. Twice the size of Manhattan. We want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream. Walt Disney World. Better than any other urban environment in America. 
Two True Freaks proudly presents. We hope that it will be unlike anything else on this earth. Golf courses, campgrounds, stores, hotels. Earning my ears. A once in a lifetime opportunity for everyone who participates. We're ready to go right now. Earning My Ears, a Walt Disney World centric podcast, is available monthly at two true freaks.com. Episode 100. Sort of. Basically what's going on is... I sometimes use my podcast as a vehicle to respond to other podcasts. And that's because sending in feedback to some of these shows... I don't know, somehow it's just like the time gets away from me, right? And yet, I somehow have time to record shit and then kind of give those people a public shout-out. So, go figure. But in this particular case, I actually do think it kind of, sort of, relates in a sort of retarded way to this episode that I'm doing right now. Specifically, I've started, uh, just a few moments ago, started listening to Michael Bailey's Uh, Views from the Long Box, episode number 201, wherein he looks back at his high school reunion that he went to just a couple months earlier, and, you know, the whole tone of the thing is, I don't know, happy. This was a positive experience for him, you know, going to his reunion. And it's not for me to second guess. I don't want it to come off like I'm criticizing him or not. I'm just trying to set the scene for you here. And... The reason I'm talking about it is because it just feels like reunion stuff has sort of been all over the place uh, for me lately. Uh, Because it was only a couple of days ago that I saw, not for the first time, you understand, but I rewatched the Smallville episode, Homecoming, wherein Clark goes to his five-year high school reunion, at which time he gets a visit from... Brainiac 5, who's traveled back in time, you know, from the future. And that's really the the big pitch of the episode, right? Clark and Brainiac 5 just kind of shooting the shit with each other. And so there was that that was going on. And like I said, there was also episode 201 of Views from the Long Box, where Michael Bailey is talking about his high school reunion, his uh, 20-year reunion. And then it was just a couple of days, or weeks ago, actually. Uh, before that, I was talking with Stacy about uh, reunions... I think basically what ended up happening was there there were some circumstances or other that prevented her from going to her high school reunion, her 10-year reunion, and so it just was a lost opportunity, you know. I got the impression she really wanted to go, but there was some scheduling shit that got in the way, and she just couldn't make it, you know. It's really as simple as that. All of this, of course, has gotten me thinking about my high school reunion. Now, for those of you who don't know, I went to, uh, I was class of 99, that is to say 1999, and went to school in this town that's called Tomball, right? It's a suburb of Houston on the northwest side, 
and at least you know Tomball at the time that I that I went there I think maybe the best way to sort of visualize that is Smallville from the show Smallville but without all the freaks and stuff that are running around although considering the number of football players in that town who were on steroids maybe there actually were freaks and mutants and stuff I don't know but anyway I ended up not going to my 10-year reunion, and it's not like I was busy, it's not like there were other things going on that occupied my time or anything like that. I just fundamentally just didn't want to go. And to explain why, I need to give you a little bit of history. I was born in Odessa, Texas, all right? Yes, the same Odessa, Texas that was featured in the book and then later the movie, Friday Night Lights. As a matter of fact, that book seriously pisses me off because I knew the people upon which that book was based when I was a kid. I knew them. And that the way they're portrayed in that book is not who they are, you know, at all. You know, dropping the N-word and, you know, stuff like that. I'm not saying that nobody in that town did. I'm just saying that if they did, I never heard it. And I know for a fact that the people in that book, you know, Winchell and all the rest, did not talk that way, you know? None of the people that we talked to that way, uh, or none of, the, rather, none of the people that we associated with talked about other people that way, no matter their skin color. And so, right off the bat, you know, that book just seriously pissed me off, and that's really got nothing to do with what we're talking about, so I'm just going to move right along. So, um, I was probably about, gee, let me think, uh, I guess I was six years old when we moved away from Odessa and moved to Lubbock, right? And there was some shit that was going on there that really is neither here nor there, but basically, we needed to get the hell out of Dodge, and so we did. Moved to Lubbock, Texas, and basically started all over again. That lasted for a couple of years, and then not exactly the same situation. It was actually more positive in this case. Um, basically, things were working out for my parents and their career and everything. And so we ended up moving to Houston. You know, there was an opportunity to do so. And certainly, if, you're, if you live, in, live and work in sort of small-town Texas and you have a chance to move to big-city Texas... There's really not a strong argument against doing so. And so, we found ourselves in Houston, and the minute you hear that, you may want to, th you know, think of the city of Houston, but that's not really where we lived. We lived in a suburb. Again, Tomball. And one of the things that I realized pretty early on was that Tomball was a lot like those... You see it in movies all the time. Uh, this small town that's owned and pretty much operated by some kind of a religious cult. That's pretty much the way that I felt about Tomball. Pretty much, if you weren't on the inside, if you weren't a member of the club, you were really not going to fit in around there. Now, is that the way that things are these days? Hey, fuck to find out. But basically what it came down to I, there, there was just the sort of cabal that ran the town at the time, right? And again, I don't know if this, if this holds true today, but we're not talking about today. Fucking we're talking about when I went to school there. And when I went to school there, uh, there was this sort of secret cabal that ran everything. 
in that town. And I called them the five families. A, because they were all families. B, there were five of them. The five families, get it? Anyway, and so that's where I went to school. And one of the things that I noticed uh, pretty early on, like I say, was that if you weren't a member of the club, then your experience, I'm trying to think of the best way, you were basically going to be left out is pretty much what it comes down to, you know? You weren't going to be a member of the club, you know? And we were certainly not members of the club. And as a matter of fact, we, meaning me and my brothers, in our own ways and in our own time, we all found ways to piss off and upset the established order of things. Now, it's not for me to talk about my brothers and their dirty laundry, but what I will say is this. I showed up in the neighborhood that my parents live in to this day, and there was this kid who was accustomed to getting his way about everything that he wanted, right? He would make other kids' lives absolute hell on pain of his big brother coming to look for them, right? So pretty much if you didn't do what this guy wanted you to do, if you fought back when he pushed you around, then he would threaten to send his older brother after you, and I don't know if his older brother actually would have come after anybody, but that was certainly the threat. The problem with that, though, is that that just held absolutely no water for me. That was not a threat to me at all, because my attitude about it was, you know, asshole, you don't want to make this a family affair. You know, I got you outnumbered, and I've got you outgunned, all right? So just step off my nuts. Well, the dude wouldn't step off my nuts. He just kept giving me shit every single time that we are in any kind of proximity to one another. And it eventually got to the point where, you know what? I kind of felt like I'd been called out by this guy. You know? I'd been singled out by this guy because I was the only kid in the entire neighborhood that wasn't kowtowing to him and scraping and bowing and all that bullshit just because of what his older brother may or may not do. Now, like I said, I had, you know, like, that guy did not want to turn this into a family thing. You know, he goes get, if he wanted to go get his older brother, I'd go get both of my older brothers. We'd see who'd win that one. Um, so, whatever happened, happened. He and I, we have our little showdown. And it went about the way that I figured it would. And I won the fight. Rather decisively. And so, like I said, my older brothers had found ways to upset the established order of things in town in their own ways. All right? Again, I'm not going to get into that because it's, really it's really not my business to get into that. But they found ways to do it themselves, and then I found a way to do it myself, and that was pretty much I guess the moment when the, when the worm turned, right? And it's like anything, you know? If you buck up against any system with a sufficient amount of strength and authority to it, it will eventually find a way to slap you down. And me and my brothers, we'd all found ways to do that. And so, in turn, the system found ways to slap each of us back in line. And again, I won't get into what happened with my brothers. And I really, you know what, to be honest, I really won't even get into what happened to me. Except to say that it did. Alright, this just fucking religious cult of this small town that I lived in that I was not a part of and was in fact completely alienated from had pretty much 
washed their hands of me and my entire family. And so from that point on, all we were really left with was basically just mashing through high school as best we could, you know? And so there was that to think about. So that's kind of setting the scene for the way that things operated in Tomball at that time, right? And again, I don't know if that's the way that things still are in Tomball, and I don't really care. I'm saying that's how things were then. And then when you move away from that, just into high school itself, I wouldn't say that high school was just this horrifying, just totally horrifying experience. Nothing but bad shit ever happened. Each day was worse than the last, so on and so on. It it really wasn't like that at all. Uh, You know, by and large, I don't really think I'm somehow emotionally scarred from the experience or anything like that. It's just that overall, it was not a very pleasant experience. You know, certain things were a lot of fun. Certain things sucked out loud. And so, on balance, I find that it was just a, just a really mediocre experience. And I, you know, for that reason, I have absolutely no real temptation to ever want to go back to that. All right? And that's pretty much the way that I felt when I graduated from high school. I, I thought, well, this, okay, great. I'm done now. Don't ever have to go back. It's over. And we can all move on with life now. And so that was pretty much the way that I'd felt about it for a lot of years. Now, when 2009 rolled around, just in time for my 10-year reunion, I won't say that I'd started to change my mind uh, about too much of anything. Because, honestly, I really hadn't. It's just, I don't know. As you As you get older, you start to see... I don't know, maybe you can just put things into some sort of a better context, you know? And that maybe things aren't so personal anymore. It's, you know, grudges and things like that, you know? And so that was kind of where I was coming from when it comes to my 10-year reunion. And so it's not like I was seriously thinking about going or anything like that. But, you know, I thought, well, I might actually be interested in going if, if it comes out that certain people are going to be there, you know what? I might actually want to want to check in with those guys, see what's going on. And what ended up happening was a lot of the people that I might have wanted to reconnect with and meet up with and just sort of catch up with, it was made manifestly clear that they were not going to be attending to, for whatever reason. You know, whatever bullshit was happening with them at the time, they just weren't they weren't going to be there. Now, I would say that for the most part, I'd kept up with most of the uh, people from high school that I might have wanted to keep up with, right? Uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the friends that I had back then, by and large, I'd managed to always have their phone number handy. Not all of them, but a lot of them, and so. I just didn't feel any great temptation about wanting to go. But on top of all of that, what I found out was that the reunion was going to take place at just some some really horrible uh, Mexican food dive inside of Tomball, which, I don't know, I might have been willing to tolerate that, but like a, a ticket cost something like 40 bucks or something like that. Also, that I could go into Tomball, strike one, hang out with a bunch of people that honestly 
for the most part, I never really cared about keeping up with in the first place. Strike two. And uh, this whole time we're listening to 90s music, whatever the fuck that means. And I'm paying $40 for the privilege. Strike three. No, I'm sorry. I just, I wasn't gonna do it. You know, I, like I say, high school was not some kind of, you know, terrible, horrific experience from which I've never fully recovered or anything like that. Totally not the case. All right? I just... To me, it felt like if you're gonna if you're gonna market something like that, you gotta give me something to work with, all right? And going into Tomball for some shitty Mexican food, uh, to hang out with a bunch of blowhard assholes that I didn't really like all that much the first time around, that I have to pay a fortune to see. No, fuck that. Okay, I just I didn't want to do it. And again, it's nothing really like personal or anything. It's just as I say, the majority of people that I might have wanted to keep up with, I had kept up with. And the few exceptions to that, you know, the ones that I hadn't kept up with, that, you know what, I might actually want to see some of those guys again. Yeah, they were there. But it... I, You could think of them as being sort of like B-movie actors. Not even B-movie actors. More like B-list actors in a... Uh, in some kind of a, a Hollywood blockbuster movie. I don't think... Back in the 90s, very many people went out to see the new Bill Pullman movie. But Bill Pullman was in a lot of 90s movies, and I think most people probably had a, a fairly high estimation of the guy. But I, at the same time, I don't think there were just tons and tons of Bill Pullman fans out there, you know? And so that's kind of the way it felt. Like, my high school re reunion was primarily going to be occupied either with complete assholes or with Bill Pullmans. Neither of which I found very, very interesting. And so, you know, put a pencil to it. And, and then what ended up happening on the night of the reunion, you know, I was getting text messages from this, you know, girl I was having a fling with, you know, telling me what a wonderful time she was having and all this stuff. And then she came back to, uh, uh, came back to my place and we continued our fling. And I got to tell you, you know, as far as like completely pointless sex is concerned, I've had better. But, um... One of the things, though, you know, after that she, that she told me about was that, you know, there were people at the reunion that I know for a fact had to go to therapy because of the shit that happened to them in high school, and they went to the goddamn reunion. Does that make sense to anybody? I mean, I think that every school in the world, or at least in America has three or four complete fucking social pariahs. And not for any kind of logical reason, either. For whatever reason, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it's like these people were identified early on, and it's like the attitude became, okay, we're going to make their lives absolute hell. And we're talking like Carrie White on fucking steroids, right? And those people went to the fucking reunion. Now, like I said, guys, high school was not all that negative an experience for me when you really come, come right down to it. Like, yeah, a couple of negative things happened, some really positive things happened, and I happen to think that the two, for the most part, cancel each other out. And all said and done, it was a pretty mediocre experience.
Had it been a nightmare the way that it was for some people, guys, I would not have gone to the fucking reunion on simple principle. As it was, I was going, I, I chose not to go to the reunion because it just felt like there was nothing in it for me to go. You know, what is the point? But for those people to go, the Carrie Whites of the world to go, when those people hated them and made no secret about it, and hated them, by the way, either for no reason or for the dumbest reasons. Like one of them, this girl that I went to, that I went to school with, she joined up with the cheerleaders whenever we were in the seventh grade. And the other cheerleaders never fucking forgave her for that. And up to then, she was not exactly Little Miss Popularity, but man, her stock fucking plummeted after that. It's like she was intruding on their thing. And who does she think she is to join up with them and all of this stuff? And so, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised to find out that, you know what, that chick may, may very well have needed therapy by the time she graduated from high school. Because from all through seventh grade, all through eighth grade, all through all four years of high school, they were just tormenting this poor girl, and she went to the fucking reunion. Does that make sense to anybody? I don't know. And then on top of all of that, then you get into 90s music. What the fuck does that even mean anyway? 90s music. Now, now don't get me wrong. I happen to think of the 1990s as being kind of my era of music, but... At the same rate, I really don't understand what that's even supposed to mean. Like, 90s music... What, what the fuck is, is that? Is that Bush? Is that Nirvana? Is that Oasis? Is it fucking Ricky Martin? What is that? Hanson? I don't know. Pretty sure I don't want to listen to it, though. Lit? Fuck, I have no idea. Anyway, so... Again, don't take this as me criticizing anybody's decision to go to their high school reunion except those I went to high school with and what I'm saying here is I'm just trying to cover my ass and make sure it's understood I'm not criticizing Michael Bailey for going to his 20 year reunion certainly not doing that I'm just saying that it didn't make sense to me from like an economic point of view or from a marketing and promotional point of view it didn't make sense from a social point of view it didn't make sense if other people that I went to high school with that I know for a fact were emotionally fucking scarred from the experience that they wanted to go, I don't fucking understand why. But I almost feel like even even criticizing that is a little uh, beyond me, right? Certainly, like I say, I'm not criticizing Michael Daly's decision to go. You know, he's a big boy. He can make up his own mind. But I'm just saying that, you know, for whatever reason, this is just something that I've been confronted with a lot in these past couple of weeks. And it's just something I felt like getting off my chest. I didn't want to go to my 10-year reunion. I seriously doubt I'm going to want to go to my 20-year reunion. And very honestly, anybody who went to Tomball and had a manifestly horrible fucking experience from it, I really don't understand why they would want to go. And I'd almost want to condemn their decision to want to go. But, well, anyway, so there, there you have it. And so that is why I didn't go to my 10-year high school reunion. Because... Like I say, there was just, there's just no point. I mean, the whole thing, it just felt so, so artificial, you know? And, I don't know, I'm just rambling now, so whatever. I'm going to take a break and be right back after these messages.
Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, can I with it then? Okay, okay, here we go. <clears throat> Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, the Mighty Thor, the Captain America. Wow, being dramatic there, aren't we? Do, do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You, you're good. Okay. You've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting. Magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, mm-hmm. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the Ant-Man before we had a full film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. He's not looking at Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found... Fa- <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad? Don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh. Yeah! Avengers! Inspirations! Podcast! Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you! You know, a while back, Dinner for Geeks released episode 95, HBO Mixtapes. And in that episode, Scott Rifen of Dinner for Geeks fame proudly laid ownership to the, I guess, the concept of the HBO Mixtape. He called it a generational hallmark, and at least as I understood it, his generation pretty much has a monopoly on it. Now... Scott, if you're listening, I'm not calling you out on this, but I am calling bullshit. You see, I had several mixtapes when I was a kid. Now, were they HBO mixtapes? Well, in some cases, yes. The most prominent example that I can think of is, of all things, Superman 2. I was raised on Superman 2. In fact, for a lot of years there, that was the only well, Superman movie that we even had in the house. And my mom taped it off HBO. After Superman 2 ended, another movie came next. It was this terrible, horrifying movie called Buddy Buddy. 
And this is basically the Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau movie that time forgot. Or desperately tried to forget, anyway. As a matter of fact, my mom must have found out about the movie coming on HBO at the last minute because the tape doesn't even start at the beginning of Superman 2. Nope. It picks up during that moment of the film where Lois gets stopped by that French cop during the terrorist attack on Paris. You know, I used to joke... Yeah, because when I think of Paris, I think of terrorism. Which was a lot funnier at one point than it is now. Je suis Charlie. But anyway. Yeah, so that's where the tape picked up the movie. And it's really interesting to think that, to this day, I truly don't think you need anything before that moment. I mean, that moment in the movie explains why Lois is uh, trying to infiltrate the Eiffel Tower, why, she, why she's even in Paris in the first place, why Superman's hauling balls to Paris, what the terrorists are trying to do, and so forth. In fact... I never actually saw Superman 2 from start to finish until I was about eight years old. Which may not seem all that important until you realize that I'd lived half my life watching only an abbreviated version of that movie. Now, true, this wasn't a mixtape as such. My mom taped Superman 2 and then... She just left the VCR going, so it ended up recording Buddy Buddy as well. And let's face it, Buddy Buddy is a movie that basically nobody loves. She didn't set out to combine the two movies. It just sort of happened. But damn it, it's a mixtape. Now, when you remove the HBO branding, I made shitloads of mixtapes in my childhood. For example, I had a mixtape of cartoons. Several, in fact. And those consisted of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Darkwing Duck, X-Men, Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers, and other stuff. Apart from that, I also had mixtapes featuring The Flash, the TV show starring John Wesley uh, Ship, and also The Simpsons. Which totally go together if you think about it. In that not-at-all-kind of way. Later... I had a tape with showgirls and powder on it. My justification for this is A, the tape was given to me by somebody else. B, yes, I requested the tape be made for me, but all I asked for was showgirls, and C, nobody knew at the time that the director of powder was a pederast. Hey, who knew? Of course, I couldn't label showgirls as being showgirls. Nope. So, instead, I used Whiteout on the label and replaced Showgirls with Tommy Boy. But that, dear friends, was a lie. Tommy Boy wasn't actually on that tape. No, no. Speaking of Tommy Boy, though, another mixtape had Tommy Boy on it and also Airheads. Ah, yes, Airheads. I shall discuss that movie sometime in the future. Eventually. Later... I created mixtapes featuring The Max on MTV and Spawn on HBO because I wanted to have a sort of image comics thing going. So, anyway, what's my point? Honestly, fucked if I know, but I'm sure it was a good one. Be back right after this.
I'm afraid the end time is near. The cataclysmic apocalypse referred to in the scriptures of every holy book known to mankind. It will be an era fraught with boundless greed and corruption, where global monetary systems disintegrate, leaving brother to kill brother for a grain of overcooked rice. The nations of the civilized world will collapse under the oppressive weight of parasitic political conspiracies which remove all hope and optimism from their once faithful citizens. Around the globe, generations of polluters will be punished for their sins, unshielded by the ozone layer they have successfully depleted, left to bake in the searing naked rays of light. Wholesale assassinations serve to destabilize every remaining government, leaving the starving and wicked to fend for themselves. Bloodthirsty renegade cyborgs created by tax-dodging corporations wreak havoc. Pissed-off androids tired of being slaves to a godless and gutless system where the rich get richer and the poor get fucked over and out. Unleash total worldwide destruction by means of nuclear holocaust, annihilating the terrified masses, leaving in its torturous wake nothing but vicious, cannibalistic, mutated, radiated, and horribly disfigured hordes of satanic killers bent on revenge, but against whom there are so few left alive. Starvation reigns supreme, forcing unlucky survivors to eat anything and anyone in their path. Massive earthquakes crack the planet's crust like a hollow eggshell, causing unending volcanic eruptions. The creatures of the seven seas, unable to escape to certain death upon land, boil in their liquid prison. Disease encircles the earth. Plagues and viruses with no known cause or cure, laying waste to whatever draws breath. And humankind, having proven itself to be nothing more than a race of ruthless scavengers, fall victim to merciless attack at the hands of the interplanetary alien tribes who seek to cover our charred remains. This is extinction level event, the final world front, and there is only one year left. everybody, Magnus here. Coming in July 2015 is Extinction Level Event, a new epic mega-series from Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Everybody loves those huge crossovers by Marvel and DC, and so I'll be talking about a bunch of them. Old ones and new ones, solo and with guests, as I make my way through some pretty memorable crossover events. This is Extinction Level event coming in july 2015 from trinus magnus punches reality only at two true I'm back now, and I think it'd be fair to say that we're definitely nearing the end of my 100th episode. But before we do, we've got just a tiny little bit of, uh, well, I can't even really call it feedback. 
it's actually feed forward. But basically what happened was for my 99th episode, I solicited, a, I don't know, sort of feedback in advance. So feed forward, get it? Regarding Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And the idea was that without really having heard what I had to say, listeners and my podcasting vassals and other people could send in their thoughts concerning The Phantom Menace and then we could just compare notes about it sort of in the middle of the show, you know? So something, something meta, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, so that was the idea. And that was fairly successful. This, the feed forward for episode 100, is slightly less so. Probably because of the fact that there was just overall less time for people to send in all of their stuff. But nevertheless, there are a few interesting things that are, well, interesting. First up, this is a little bit of audio feed forward that I received from my podcasting vassal, Mr. Tom Paneris. Your Excellency, it is Tom Paneris from Pop Culture Affidavit and In Country. Just wanted to quickly wish you congratulations on hitting 100 episodes. Especially, not only that, but being able to keep up the commitment of doing a weekly show. Um, I can barely keep my shows bi-weekly. <laughs> and doing a weekly show, being able to plan it out and execute it the way you have and the way you wanted to over these last couple of years is is impressive. Um, most podcasters are not able to pull that off. A lot of podcasts don't make it to 100 episodes and a lot of them don't you know, have that sort of regular release schedule. So I appreciate the fact that you've had me on a couple of times. You've been on my show at least once and, and we're definitely going to get together and, and do it again and carry on. You set a great standard for podcasts that are are fun that are uh deep and um i'm proud to call you a colleague and a friend in podcasting and best of luck on the next 100 thank you tom very much i really appreciate you taking the time to uh, write in with all of that let me know what you're thinking and also thank you very much for the compliments you know the thing is a lot of people originally at least hadn't really said anything to me about being able to hit a weekly release schedule you know pretty much this entire time until a few days ago that is where scott rifen and professor allen both mentioned that to me so the fact that you've also said it to me it just it really makes me feel good so thank you very much um you know i've really tried planned like hell for this show to have a consistent release date. And the reason for that was because I wanted anyone who cares about what I have to say to be able to count on the fact that they're going to be able to hear it on a, on a weekly basis. This is not me criticizing people who, for whatever reason, are unable to meet a, re a, a weekly release schedule. I'm certainly not doing that. Because what you'll, if you actually analyze that situation, what you're going to find is that the people who who struggle with meeting a, a weekly release date, they've got professional obligations or family obligations or just whatever's going on that prevents them from doing that. I've got fewer of those things. And so that's really the main reason why I've been able to do it. I mean, if I had 
the same type of, I don't know, responsibilities that other people do, then it would have been a lot harder for me to meet the same type of, you know, release schedule that I've done up to now. So I, I don't want this to come off like I'm criticizing anybody or looking down my nose because trust me, I'm not there, but for the grace of God, it could be me, you know? So either way though, thank you. Really appreciate you. First of all, taking the time to listen because, you know, one of the things that I have just, I, I've just got to be honest about is, you know, you've been in the game for a while now. Uh, you've been around in the podcasting world. And so it always struck me as kind of interesting that you even like my show. I mean, I, that was always very surprising to me, but um, I'm happy that you do. And I'm also happy that, you know, you're in the game too, that you do this as well. I like listening to your shows. You know, you just have a lot of energy to it. And again, a point of view that can't be found just anywhere. You know, I mean, it's easy to find people who snark about shit online all the time. It's not really that difficult to do, but the sort of thoughtfulness or the nostalgia or just whatever angle you take with the material that stuff is a lot harder to find so anyway really enjoy your your shows too so thank you very much first of all for listening but also for writing well i can't say writing and for recording all of that and sending it to me really appreciate you uh taking the time to do that let's see so the next uh this next email that came through this is from my old friend fanboy ms prime title of the email is Get You Got 100 Eps. So, Fanboy Miss Prime writes, Just have to say, it's great you've made it this far, Magnus. Hope, keep hearing more over the years, and still amazed you even tried doing that tome I wrote for a Superman cartoon. Signed, Fanboy Miss Prime. And, uh, Prime, that email that you sent to me, you know what? I'm really glad that you weren't upset about the fact that I couldn't make it all the way through. But, I mean, wow, that was... You warned me for weeks, maybe even months, ahead of time that this was going to be a real Lulu and that this is going to be just a really long email. But I guess I hadn't... I don't know. Completely understood, you know, just how long that son of a bitch was going to be. But, man, that thing was huge. So I'm really glad that you're not upset about the fact that the whole thing didn't get read on mic, so that's that's very gratifying to me. So, last thing I need is uh, for anyone to come storm in my house with torches and pitchforks and stuff. So, anyway, thank you for taking the time to write in. Really appreciate you taking the time uh, to do that. And also for just listening to my show, because you've probably been my most prolific um, I don't know, respondent, possibly, or listener, you know, however it is that we're approaching this. So, really appreciate you taking the time to do that, and um, it's been a lot of fun to be able to count on your email and have something that may tie in directly with a subject, uh, an episode subject matter, or maybe something that breaks away from it entirely. I never know what I'm going to get with you. You always keep me guessing. It's always fun, and I'm always happy to hear from you. So, thank you very much for uh, uh, taking the time to contact me and considering the small amount of time that the listeners had between my little post going up on Facebook and the time that they and, and like the end of the deadline I think we're actually doing pretty good here I mean I got two bits of feedback so that's actually two more than I was expecting to get in the time that anybody had so thanks to all of you who took the time to uh, write in and uh, let me know what you think and uh, just I don't know it's it, it y'all listening to this show has really 
it's just, it's meant a lot to me. So, anyway, that's pretty much what I've got for the time being. I'll be right back after these messages. The Vietnam War, a conflict that changed America. Of those who served, many came back irrevocably changed, while many did not come back at all. This is their story. Marvel Comics presents The Nam. Join me, Tom Panneries, for In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics series The Nam. Each episode, I will recap and review one issue of the series, as well as provide historical context that's important to understanding the events behind the story. Along the way, I will also take a look at the movies, music, and literature surrounding the Vietnam War. New episodes are posted every two weeks at incountry.podomatic.com. You can find show notes and other media at popcultureaffidavit.com. Subjects, followers of my revolution, men and women here and in all places, all over the world, beyond the mountains, beyond the seas, listen. A solemn hour is about to strike in the history of this podcast. 20 million loyal subjects are at this moment gathered in the squares of the fatherland. It is the greatest demonstration that history records. 20 million. One heart alone. One will alone. One decision. This manifestation signifies that the tie between your leader and the Two True Freaks podcast network is perfect, absolute, unalterable. Only brains softened by puerile illusions, by sheer ignorance, can think differently because they do not know what exactly is Trenus Magnus Punch's reality of 2015. For many months, the wheel of destiny and of the impulse of our calm determination moves towards the goal. In these last hours, the rhythm has increased and nothing can stop it now. It's not only an army marching towards its goal, but it is 44 million loyal subjects marching in unity behind their leader. The people worthy of their past and their name cannot and never will take a different stand. Let me repeat in the most categorical manner that the sacred pledge which I make at this moment before all loyal subjects and before my podcasting vassals Listening with one podcast feed today is that I shall do everything in my power to continue this podcast for another thousand episodes. My podcast may be attractive to certain minds which hope to avenge their disintegrated podcast through this new cause. Never, 
As at this historical hour have the folks of Magnus Media Ventures Limited revealed such force of character, and it is against this people to which mankind owes its greatest conquest, this people of heroes, of bloggers and podcasters, of fanboys, of cosplayers, that the world dares to ignore. Loyal subjects, loyal subjects entirely and universally obedient, rise to your feet. Let the cry of your determination rise to the skies above you and reach your compatriots all across the fatherland. Let it be a comfort to those who are about to fight. Let it be an encouragement to our friends and a dire warning to our enemies. It is the cry of Trenus Magnus Punches Reality which goes beyond the mountains, beyond the seas, and out into the great world. It is the cry of justice and victory! Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2 True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the 2 True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.